We'll go to our imprecatory psalm study, and we're in Psalm 37. We've been here for a couple weeks, and uh, the last time we were in, we well, two times, I guess, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at this first part of the Psalm 37. It's the Lord can be trusted, and then uh, the Lord understands your situation. That's what we were looking at last week. And then tonight, we're going to look at this topic, the Lord blesses his people. And this is the outline as it flows in this psalm. And we'll pick it up in, uh, well, we're going to actually look at some subpoints here too, but we'll pick it up in verse 21. We're just going to read a couple of verses and then we're going to comment on it, study it, and continue on from there. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. Lord, we come before you tonight, thanking you again for your word. We pray even as we open it up tonight, you'd open it to our hearts, our minds, and help us, O Lord, be obedient to you. Help us to be people of the word and hide it deep in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're looking at this last section here, uh, or not the last point, that'll be next week, uh, Lord willing. But the Lord blesses his people, and... We'll look at about five different things where we see the blessings of God. And the first one here, we read those two verses, is that he blesses with his provisions. And as David is writing this psalm, and as I said, it's an imprecatory psalm in that in the end of this, he talks about how the wicked are cut off. And he alludes to that, flat out states it several times in this psalm before that, including in the section that we read here just now. Um, So that's sort of the imprecatory part that God will eventually judge and he will cut off the wicked, all right? And David is praying to that end as he writes uh, this psalm. But in the process of that, he can't go too far without stopping and thinking about all the blessings that God gives. And I think that's always important that we don't dwell only on the evil that is around us, but also we dwell on the fact of who God really is. And I, I really think that's what the psalms do best for us. As we get into the Psalms, they point us heavenward, they point us to the Lord, they point us to the fullness of who God is. And when we get our eyes off ourselves and off this earth enough to see the power of God and what he's like, then everything changes perspective. And that's why I like getting in the Psalms and reading them, and I'm in there every day just about in the Psalms. And this one in particular is a a good one, and I don't think I had gone through it verse by verse in the near... I don't know, 28 years of ministry that I have been involved in. I can't remember ever going through this psalm, the whole psalm, gone through parts of it and certain verses in it, but it's been a blessing to have to study it out. Anyways, we see the, the Lord blesses his people, and you say, how does he do that? Number one, or point A, he blesses with his provisions. And it says, the wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. And the psalmist here reminds us that uh, the wicked may prosper for a moment, but eventually they run out of that, all right? And they end up having to borrow. And it's interesting the amount of times in Scripture where the Lord told his people, Israel, don't borrow from other nations. Uh, And the reason is you're a slave to the lender, right? And God said that over and over again 
And I think that's probably good principle in general for everybody not to go out there and put yourself into debt and to a debt especially you can't repay. I think we live in a country where our government does that very well um, and others and they love to spend other people's money, the people's money. Uh, and, and the principle, if we stuck to biblical principles, even in just not even the Jewish nation, but our nation here, I tell you what, it would make a whole difference, wouldn't it? You wouldn't be a slave to the lenders, right? Maybe some countries that want to do you harm even, things like that. But the wicked borrows and does not repay. That is the statement that David makes. But the righteous shows mercy and gives. And he compares the two. The righteous, the believer, should have a heart that's always ready for mercy and a heart that's always ready to be generous. And that really pictures for us the way we need to be. And he reminds them that those uh, blessed by him shall inherit the earth or inherit what God wants for them. You could say that. But those cursed will be cut off. And again, that curse coming from God because of their own sin, right? Sin has cursed them. In Deuteronomy, in chapter 15, verse 6, it says this, For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations... But you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. God told the nation of Israel, this is how you're to operate. And I think that would have been very good for them to continue to do that uh, and to follow the Lord. In chapter 28, he says the same thing. And he says, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And again, it's interesting how many times that God tells them, don't do that. And as I said, I think if, uh, and, and particularly, I think even in the founding of our country, when much of our laws and our practices and even our governmental policies were created uh, were instituted they were based on biblical principles and the further we get away from the bible and the principles found in it the more we flounder and are in trouble aren't we and more really we become slaves even in prosperity uh, to things so be careful the principle here is that really um, the wicked needs to go to borrow just to survive and to do that and they don't pay back if they're lent money but um, for the believer uh, he can rely on God and that does not mean an absolute especially because remember to the Jew God made a covenant and he said if you obey it was conditional on their part if you will obey I will prosper you and if you won't obey you will be taken captive and led off into other nations and all that stuff And so to the Jew, that was there. But the principle really is applied to all believers, and it does not mean that it's a guarantee. Uh, There have been many believers that have died in poverty in hunger, not because God was cursing them, but because they lived in a sin-cursed earth, and the world, well, is like that. It strips us of things. And our treasures are not on this earth, and they're not bound in land or in the fruit of that land. Our treasure is in heaven. However, the principle of generosity and mercy, as it's given or instructed to believers, will return to us. And that's not just an Old Testament principle, that's a New Testament principle. 
And it's found there. In the book of Proverbs, it says the same thing. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions. That's your material things. And with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. To the, as Solomon's writing these short little uh, proverbs, these sayings. And he reminds people to be generous. And as you're generous, God will prosper. And I just say that I have seen that uh, in practice in the lives of believers. Those that I really think are so often so most generous never lack. They may not have a lot, but they never lack. God provides and God delights in, in the New Testament, a cheerful giver, right? Someone who wants to do those things. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. I think of that because it's so easy to hold on to stuff, it's harder to get rid of it, isn't it? I, uh, um, we're getting ready to plant the garden soon, I hope. Another, well, it's probably a while. First week of June, usually, when most of it goes in. And, and, and then it's, it's conditional on, on the weather and the soil temperatures and all that. Um, we just live in a cold climate up here. But that's coming quickly, really, it is. It's a little over a month away, and we'll be doing that. And uh, I'm, in a, I'm one of these guys that goes out, and I like to gather seeds, you know, from the store and all that stuff. And, um, and one thing I have found over the years is that sometimes I will get a good deal on seed. And... Um, I'll say, hey, look, you know, it's the end of the year and they're, they're clearing these seeds and I'll grab that and use it for next year and I'll buy more than I need. Um, and sometimes I end up in a place the next year where I have way too much seed. I can't put it in the ground and uh, I can tell you it goes to waste. And you will never grow anything with seed that stays in the package or in the barn, right? You have to go out and put it in the ground. You have to scatter it. And really... I see that as an analogy to the way we sometimes deal with our possessions in general, even as believers, right? We, we would rather hold on to them, hold them tight, and not use them for the Lord. And in doing so, life sl- slips away, and they aren't ever used for the Lord. And it's a waste, and so often it can be a waste. And sometimes I wonder, you know, it, you, you look out and you see a young person that maybe goes off to serve the Lord, and their life is cut short, or those kind of things, and you say, wow, you know, uh, what, what a waste it seems. You know, the world will say that. But if it was somebody who was serving the Lord and active with the Lord in that, I'll tell you, God is so good, isn't he? And, and that's an investment you can't, um, well, the returns of that is a life, right? Lived, and matter, your possessions are the same things. You can't take it with you, right? And the principle found in Scripture about the, how the Lord blesses his people. Uh, I was thinking of that. Uh, some of you at prayer meeting knew that uh, we have friends who were missionaries serving with us when we were in Ukraine. They were in the Sumi region and stayed there for many years. Uh, and they were back in Canada um, just most recently. Their kids are mostly grown up, uh, three, three children. Two of them are married. One of them is in college. Actually, he was in college over in England. And the oldest girl, Linnea Paitkow, uh, died in a skiing accident, a backcountry skiing accident, about a week ago, a little over a week ago. And when we got the news of that, we thought, oh, what a tragedy. Our, she, she was about the same age as our Laura, and they were like best of friends when we were 
in Ukraine, and uh, we did a lot of things together with their family and whatnot. And when we heard of that, we just, oh, our hearts were so heavy, my wife and I, and uh, just a wonderful gal. She had been married for about five and a half years. And she was one of these people that was serving the Lord regularly at camps, uh, some of these more adventure kind of Christian camps where you do those kind of things. That's why she was out in a backcountry environment skiing in a snowpack gave way and she fell a great distance and and died from her injuries and i thought of that i thought oh you know had she not been doing that you know those those things that are a little riskier and things like that she'd still be alive today but her dad posted something her mom too have been posting about her and they were just really saying how though their hearts are so grieved over the loss of their daughter they are also rejoicing because she was doing things right. She was serving the Lord. She had a good testimony. The group that she was with, she was breaking trail. She was out in front of everybody. And she was the only believer in that group. And had another person who was breaking trail. And, it, and no matter who was in front, it was going to happen. That, then that person would have died and gone off, not just in a fall, but into Christless eternity. And Linnea was a good testimony in front of her friends. And those things. And I, and I thought about that. 27 years old and uh, she leaves a husband and a family there and I thought but she lived with the Lord and you know somebody could go and live to be a hundred or older and never have served the Lord never been a good testimony and which is a more valued life I'll leave that with the Lord but honestly sometimes we hold back because we don't scatter our stuff you know our our not only material things, our spiritual gifts, those kind of things. And look what he says, a generous soul will be made rich. A generous soul. And I think the practice or the the application for the Christian, it, it isn't all about material things, right? But as we are generous with our time, it might be our material things, it might be with, uh, especially in the, in the context of how we care for others, you know what? God enriches us. Sometimes it's with people. <laughs> Sometimes it's with someone who wants to become a Christian because they saw you in action. And he who waters will also be watered himself. Thankful for that. And again, that's not a guarantee, but that's a principle. And you can live by that principle. I just lay it there. Proverbs 19.37 he who has pity on the poor, the word for pity means to be generous. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. Think about that. If you're generous to someone who's in need, you aren't lending to them. You're lending to the Lord. Now, do you think the Lord always pays back his loans? Yeah, he does. And he does well, doesn't he? Far better than any of us. And he will pay back when he has given. I like that. The New Testament. Timothy is instructed here, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. So Timothy, in his day, just as our day, there were people that had great wealth. And there were some that had become Christians. And Paul says, Remind them not to trust in their wealth. Not in those kind of riches but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, 
willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. The focus uh, in, in that instance there is not in this world. It's part because somebody who has wealth was to be generous. I think that if you don't necessarily have material wealth, wealth, you still need to be generous, don't you? And uh, it's interesting in the stats of giving, the IRS tracks charitable giving, right? And you can look at some of the reports. And the people who are the most giving in the United States are actually the lower middle middle income people or whatever, I hate classing people, but the lower income people tend to be far more generous per capita and percentage-wise than those that are very wealthy. Yeah. And it's interesting because you'd think, well, you know, I have to have a billion dollars to be a philanthropist and be generous. No, you don't. Most of the monies that are given to charities in the United States, and I just have those stats, but I would say probably by Christians worldwide, um, you know, they come out of the generosity of God's people that don't have a lot of material things. But he uses them, and people invest. Why? Because they want to invest in eternal life, not in this life. Luke chapter 12, verse 33. Jesus gave this instructions, these instructions. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old. And a treasure, look at this, in heaven that does not fail. Where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. I was thinking that um, uh, I have, you know, carry a wallet around, a little leather wallet, and this one's probably maybe 10 years old now. And I find uh, leather stretches, you know, it gets old, all that stuff. And if you're not careful, things fall out of your wallet, you know, because the things, mostly credit cards, which, well, that tells you a lot, doesn't it, in the world we live. But uh, I was thinking about that, that everything you put your valuable things in today wears out. And things grow old and treasure sometimes is fleeting at best you can invest a lot of money and then overnight you can lose it right i mean it's the way it is here on this earth but that which is laid up in heaven we know moth can't destroy it rust can't corrupt it right thieves can't break through and steal that's what we seek to do right jesus reminded his followers of that well The Lord blesses with his provision, but secondly, he blesses with his protection. He blesses with his protection. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. And then he says, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And I, probably those are the best known verses out of this psalm. Because I've seen it, you know, in messages, and I've used this these verses before. But it's a solemn reminder that God is a God of order, and He's ordering our steps. He's actually securing our steps. That's what the word to order means. It it is a word meaning to prepare, to make ready, to secure, to establish. And I like that because. That means that even as I go out in a world that is a little shaky and and has all kinds of pitfalls and, and dark corners and shadows and all the things that sin does in our world, God is ordering our steps, securing those things. And then he says, though he fall, 
And by the way, in this world, there are things that will trip you up. I don't care who you are. It will happen. And sometimes we think, you know, we're pretty good. I remember when I was at Bible school, I, uh, I was bragging to people. I didn't fall on the ice, all right? I was really good at, like, sometimes, and if you knew anything about MBBI and the campus there, everything's on a hill. So when it got icy and you'd come down to the classrooms, and I'm sure you guys had this experience, I mean, you better hold on and you better just go for the ride. Sometimes you'd be in dress shoes or whatever, and down you would go and all that. And I'd watch my classmates fall, and I'd laugh, and I'd that, and I, I never fell. For three years, I didn't fall until... One night, I'm running out to my car. To, I was late for going somewhere. I was all alone. And as I was turning the corner, I went out in the parking lot, and I wiped out, and I went right underneath my car. And the first thing I did is look around. Who saw me, right? But you know what? I, I couldn't brag after that. I, I, my heart was, I could have, and nobody would have known, but I'd have been lying. The Bible says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. <laughs> I learned that verse after that, just so you know. But you know, we will fall. This world, I don't care how good, or how good you are. You, I don't care if you're like me and you can just walk perfectly. No, I, I'm not even I've fallen a lot since then too. But literally in sin, sin trips us up. There are things you will see. There are things you will hear. There are places you'll end up that sometimes you go, how did I get here? I've fallen in, Right? The slew of despond is a pilgrim's progress, right? And you need to be taken back out of there, right? God's right there. He orders our footsteps. He secures them. And he guarantees we're going to make it to our destination. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Really, that's what we need is someone who can grab us when we're down and hold us by the hand. The Lord's the only one that can do that fully because he can be anywhere. And he can be with you and he can be with me at the same time. It's the way God is. The psalmist in Psalm 119, 133, direct my steps by your word. So not only by the hand of God, but by his word. He gives us the Bible. And the Bible helps order our steps, doesn't it? Because honestly, if I was just left up to my own devices, it says, you know, there's a way that seemeth right on demand, but the end thereof are the way of death right? If I just followed my heart, like everybody tells me I should be doing, I say in the world tells me I should, I'd get in a lot of trouble because my heart wanders. And my heart can wander. If I'm in prayer, my heart can wander to the most awful thoughts sometimes. And I think, oh, good thing I don't follow my heart. But I can go back to the word of God and he tells me how to walk. That's another way he orders our steps. And let no iniquity have dominion over me. That means sin should not rule my life. Doesn't mean you won't have some sin. <laughs> I'll tell you, there are those that do believe in what they call uh, sanctification in this life or sinless perfection, as they call it. And I tell you, every now and again, I'll run into somebody that believes that. And I, the first thing I want to do is go ask their wife, are you really sinless? You know? Or sometimes I'd like to poke them in the eye and see what they would do. You know, that's not very nice, is it? But I, I think it would bring out the sin. And I think it would bring them back down to earth. The reality is that sin doesn't have to have dominion over us, though, does it? Because God's word directs us. And he is able, in his presence, 
to keep us from stumbling. In the book of Jude, the end of that little letter, Jude writes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I think of that a lot. I think, God, how many times have you kept me from stumbling today? How many times has he protected me in my life from something that would have taken me into sin? I can just say, probably more than I'd ever know. And maybe only in heaven will we reveal some of that. And I tell you, the amount of times he has delivered me from evil. You know, we're told to pray that, right? Lord, deliver us from evil. It's part of the disciples' prayer. But he is able to keep us from stumbling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Isn't that great? Someday he's going to make it right. And this sometimes weak and stumbling Christian someday stand faultless before him. Faultless and exceedingly joyful. Not only my joy, but his joy. To God, our Savior. Again, the deity of Christ right there. God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion, right, and power, both now and forever. Amen. Uh, Jude just has to end with that. This is how God is. He's able to keep us from stumbling. After writing about apostates, right? (laughs) And he ends with that high note for sure. Well, he blesses us with his protection. He blesses us with his presence. God is also with us, right? Emmanuel. David writes, I have been young and now am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. You know what David says here? He just makes a comment that he's getting old. And he had some history with the Lord. And I tell you what, I love sitting down with older saints who are walking with the Lord and they have history. And they can go back and say, this is where God provided in my life. And this is where God did this great thing. This is where God led this person into my life. This is when this happened in my family. This is when God met a need that I had. And they can tell you those stories, all kinds of things. Some of you are in that category, right? You have some history with the Lord. And what David summarizes in that is that he says, I'm now old, but he says, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. There have been times in my life, I think, Lord, I think you've forsaken me. Now I knew better, but I felt that. I was like, God, where are you? You're not here today. Where are you? He's still there. I can look back from this perspective, having been a Christian now for over 30 years, and say, Lord, you have been there all along. He doesn't forsake the righteous. And he never will. Nor his descendants begging for bread. Can you imagine that? A Christian having to go out and to say, God can't provide. So I have to go and rely on someone else to do that. Well, sometimes we do rely on others. And there's nothing wrong with someone being gracious to give. And and that sometimes is the needs are met. You have the book of Acts where that was taking place, right? 
There were needs being met and Christians were giving according to needs. And they were supporting widows and they were doing those kind of things. Uh, James talks about the support of widows and visiting orphans and widows as, as true religion, right? So it's part of that. And the Bible teaches that. But the begging for bread is an attitude of the heart. When we say, my God isn't enough and I need you to help me to take care of my, my life. Well, listen, we should be going to him and we should be saying, give us this day our daily bread, right? He promises to do that. He is ever merciful and lends and his descendants are blessed. I love that. His descendants are blessed. Jesus put it this way. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Right? And then that verse, give us this day our daily bread. And you know, it also means this, that that God in his presence, uh, he wants us to rely on him and he wants us to live sacrificially to him in that way it's no we're not here for a freeload you know um, too many people think that's what life's all about life somehow you know people deserve to take care of me I, I deserve it i guess um, and that's not the way god wants a christian to live he wants us to be generous people he wants us to go out and to to bless where we can bless those kind of things David knew something about that. Uh, back in 2 Samuel, you remember when it comes time to purchase a place for the temple. David buys the temple mount, all right? Then the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you, because Aruna wanted to give it away. He said, Here, it's for the Lord, take it. David says, No, 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 no. Look what he goes on to say. Surely I will buy it from you for a price nor will i offer burnt offerings to the lord my god with that which cost me nothing so david bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver now 50 shekels as in the weight of measurement for shekels today is probably around 500 dollars. all right you wouldn't think that's very much but in ancient times the shekel and the silver was actually worth more and many estimate that that was worth tens of thousands of dollars so it wasn't just like david doing a little transaction and getting a deed for the land he was making sure that he was generous in the purchase of the land interesting that today that little piece of real estate is the most contested piece of real estate in the world (laughs) you know there are groups of people that would like to occupy that now and are and trying and all of that We have the title deed right here in the scripture. David bought it. The Lord blesses with his presence, but he also blesses with obedient lives. There is something conditional attached to this psalm. He talks about being obedient to him. And there is a blessing attached to being obedient. All right? Psalm 37 verse 27 says this, Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. 
For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Now the dwell in it forever part is not just a land. He's talking about a heavenly place. David was looking beyond the land and you have that eternal perspective. But obedience. Obedience was connected to living a long time. In this case, forever. It says, depart from evil, right? And do good and dwell forevermore. Those things go together. And I think departing from evil is a heart that repents. It's a heart that repents and has to turn to God. And you're with Him. That's the doing good part, right? And He promises that you'll dwell forevermore. This world is not our home, right? And we are truly just passing through. For the believer, the dwelling is yet to come. For the Jew, he told them that over and over again, that their lifespan was actually connected to their obedience. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 5. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you possess. There is an aspect of when you obey God and obey his word, right? The the two are the same. You have to obey his word. And if you're not obeying his word, you're not obeying God and vice versa. But the fact that there was a connection to living longer, And now, again, I won't say that as an absolute that for the Christian, because, again, we're not in this. This isn't all about the land. It isn't all about our bodies even, right? We look to a heavenly place. And still, you can get cancer and, you know, be two years old and die. Or you could, you know, live to be 100 and and have something else happen and all that. It doesn't mean you're going to be infinitely living here on this earth. But the reality is this, that many of the choices we make in disobedience does indeed shorten our life, doesn't it? You think uh, how many people today will well will die of overdoses? That is an epidemic in our country right now, sadly. And I have been on those calls and other times where somebody has overdosed, and I have uh, the, the heartache. Often, somebody's life is cut short, as they say. Why? They were putting something into their body that shouldn't have been there. And you could say the blame's on them. There's a lot of blame, you know. But I say it this way. When there's a direct correlation to abusing yourself or sinning or other things and often shortening the life. Or the amount of people that will die in automobile accidents this year because they were intoxicated. Or the amount of people that will die of a heart attack just because um, of stresses created in their life from the disaster that has unfolded because of the sin condition they're in or the heartache that someone else has put on you perpetrated on you someone else's disobedience those kind of things they do shorten our lives Lord said walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you that's the simple way really we live in a world where we have a hard time obeying. I, I think as an American especially, we live in a world where we, we talk, you know, our country, like we're all about freedoms and things like that. Um, and I'm certainly 
that way, I like, I like liberty, you know. But liberty is not licensed to do anything. It was Peter Forsyth, who is a Scottish theologian, he said this, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. It's true. Who's your master? If it's the Lord, well, follow his ways, and you'll find out that, you know, he'll lengthen your days. He's a God that is like that. He blesses with obedient lives, but he also blesses with his word. David ends this section by saying, The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Oh, wow. What a great, you know, those would be a great life verse. Somebody wanted the life verses or whatever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom. There's something about believers who can speak wisdom according to the word of God. That's where true wisdom is, right? And your tongue is one that is judicial in a way that it's fair, right? Tongue gets us in trouble, doesn't it? The law of God is in his heart. Interesting because it's possible to follow the law and not really obey it at the heart level, right? I mean, how many of us would like to go down the road sometimes? We just like to go 90 miles an hour and the speed limit's 50, right? So you probably obey the speed limit or near it because you know if you don't, you'll have those blue lights show up behind you and you'll be paying the state, right? And so we might follow the speed limit because we know of the repercussions. That's how most of us come to the law, isn't it? In and of ourselves. But it's another thing to say, Lord, I want to obey you. And I want to obey the laws you've placed over me and things like that because it's pleasing to you. Lord, how can I please you today? Maybe it's keeping the speed limit, you know? Those kind of areas. And deeply here, he's talking about the law of God. That God, you know, it's possible you can go through life and and yeah, you didn't commit adultery, but as Jesus says, if a man looks on a woman to lust after her in, her heart, in his heart, he's already committed adultery with her. God wants a man that has a heart that's committed to him. And the other things will fall in place too. It's possible to say, well, Lord, no, I don't commit adultery. But the reality is the heart might be very far from what God wants. The law of God is in his heart. And none of his steps shall slide. If God's law is deep in our hearts and we have a heart that wants to please him and obey him and love him, then the other things are they're easy to do. They really are. If they're not, you'll slip up. Because you can't keep it on your own. You need a heart that's changed, right? The Psalms open up with this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. Look what he promises. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's, that's the blessed man, the blessed woman. Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, And these words 
which I command you today shall be in your heart. God always was about the heart. That's what he wanted people to do. That's what he wants us to do. Let's pray. Lord, we are so blessed tonight because of your word and because of your presence and Lord, because you've brought us into a place where you order our steps and you keep us from stumbling and oh Lord, you lift us up when we fall and oh God, you've preserved us even forever. Thank you for that. May we be a people that please you this week, please you even this night, oh Lord, by meditating on these things in our hearts and obeying from a heart, loving you as we should. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.